0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are across the globe. We are your hosts, Sean Alvari, and yours truly, Shai Jallier, and you are about to experience the S2 effect. Today, all things U.S. Women's National Team. Kick the intro. Back at it, Sean, how's everything? Everything's good, man. How are you doing, my man? Another day in paradise. Um, You know, uh, I don't know. uh, A week ago, I was I was uh, roasting in high 80 degree weather. And now it's like uh, winter in California. And I mean winter. I don't care what anybody says. It's like it's like 50s during the day and like 30s at night and I'm freezing.
1: Yeah, there was one of the days that was uh, I mean, my windshield was frozen. Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cold one of the days in the morning.
0: Yeah. And all those people who say, yeah, we need a break from this heat. I'm just like, I hope, I hope they're satisfied now because I can't operate in these conditions. That's why I moved to California.
1: Yeah. I mean, give me, give me year round 70, then I'm good with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a warm person. Yeah.
0: So some interesting, uh, things have been transpiring in the world of football, um, You know, uh, first and foremost, we had the little, uh, you know, the topsy-turvy Man City, Man United uh, going up and down, taking first, taking second. And then, uh, you know, with, uh, I think, a shock result uh, between Manchester United and Sheffield United um, kind of cemented a little bit uh, Man City's place there. Um, But I, I guess at this point, for those who are wondering, you know, what makes the Premier League so special... Um, this is it, man. I think uh, it's been an incredible season. And uh, what a result for Sheffield United, right? First time they've won at Old Trafford, I think, since 1973.
1: I mean, it's it's been one of those years that you get those results. I mean, even the – I mean, what when you see Sheffield United, I know the Aston Villa one was exaggerated, but that Aston Villa-Liverpool game, I mean, you got some shocking results this year that you – would never expect, but I think that's what the year has done. It's really has challenged the whole organization as a whole uh, from sports performance to um, coaching staff to front office and how to manage an organization to stay competitive and be at the top uh, of the table.
0: You know, something that just really popped into my mind is, is all you hear all the coaches talk about, how they're struggling with training and trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, uh, create the low periodization, however you want to call it. Um, But something that I'm, I'm curious about is no one's talked about the sports uh, psychology department. I wonder how uh, intense that's, that's going on in, in within the EPL. I would be curious, you know, I'd love to find out and get some information on that. But anyway, I digress. I think the uh, the more uh, pressing uh, you know, news out there was the sacking of uh, Frank Lampard and the hiring of uh, Tuchel. Um, You know, what are your, what are your takes on that?
1: I mean, I think you can you can observe different organizations as an example. Um, I think it's deserving, as as maybe as ruthless as that sounds, for Lampert to go out and Tuchel to come in because you can even argue Man City had a rough year with all this COVID happening with players and the players that Pep Guardiola didn't have at hand and he was getting out, in, out, even with um, Tottenham. I mean, but to stay at the top five and stay in that range, um, it just shows as a manager, it's figuring out what is it that's going to get you the results. At that level, it's result-driven. It is result-driven. Like, people might not like Mourinho the way he plays the brand of football, but he gets the results that keeps his job, or even if he loses it, it goes out in a, in a way you can say, Hey, but he did win a silverware. He did do something for the club and winning silverware brings money to the club. I mean, in the end of the day, at that level is business. So when you're in the top four, you're making money. If you're dropping down, you're losing money. So when, when the owner has to make decisions, board has to make decisions. You're like, look, we spent on these players. Lampard wanted these players. And when we paid money for these players and we're dropping down the table at the end of the season, if we continue at this pace and say, look, let Lampard develop these players, we're going to lose a lot of amount of money. And they got to be like, look, we need to bring a coach to put us in contention because we can't get out of Champions League. You know, if we're in Europa, we're losing money in that aspect. As a club like Chelsea, it's not just like a club like Leeds getting promoted from championship to... uh, the Premier League, where Bielsa has the time to just, hey, you keep us in the Premier League, that's still a success of a year. It's Chelsea. There's history behind it. Winning Champions League, winning Premier League. So with that history comes that pressure. And I think the thing that makes it difficult when they say it in a professional manner, Lampard was a player. He's a young and upcoming coach. But I think in moments of moving systems, moving players shows the inexperience of a manager still, but I think he has a huge and bright future within the game. But I think he needs stepping stones like this to kind of reflect and say, should I have played this? Should I have done this? Because I just think he has the players at hand. He didn't find the system, the rotation, the mix that clicks to get him a consistent amount of results.
0: Yeah, I agree, and you know, kind of segueing, well, not segueing, but maybe th- food for thought. Uh, you know, maybe a, a future episode could be uh, how how great players um, transition into becoming great coaches. I, I I think that you know we're gonna hear about Frank Lamp- Lampart for a very long time. I think he's gonna he's gonna establish himself as a like you said uh, a, a coach to be uh, reckoned with, and and. Yeah, he'll be be there for a very long time. I agree with you that, um, you know, Chelsea is a historical team. Um, I, you know, obviously Abranovic as the owner, uh, you know, this is par for the course. I don't think anybody was surprised uh, by the, the move. Um, and I think, you know, when you take on jobs at Chelsea, Man United, Barca, uh, Bayern, wherever it is, PSG. You know, uh, it, it, you're not given time to tinker. It's it's about, you know, you literally got to hit the hit the ground running. So, uh, you know, I think again, Lampard's legacy might be though was this uh, was this movement for youth and to to give young players an opportunity. Uh, I hope that continues. I hope, uh, you know, obviously selfishly speaking, you know, with uh, you know, Pulisic there, I'd love to make, sh- you know, see that Pulisic continues to uh, develop as a player and uh, can make an impact for Chelsea, but should be interesting. I don't know that the, you know, again, it's, it's a day, right. He comes in, uh, he does change the lineup a bit um, goes with players that haven't been, uh, given an opportunity, but uh, it, it should be interesting. One of the things I will say with the hire of Tuchel and the sacking of Tuchel at PSG was he was, I think he was the winningest coach by percentage in PSG history, and and it's still not enough because at the end of the day, it's about what you said. It's it's the silverware. You have to win. You have to win the big stuff. And I think you know the standard is already that. Yeah, we're we're the top team or we're the top four team, we need a coach who's going to win us the silverware. So I think uh, you're spot on with that.
1: And Sha, even to go off on that, I mean, outside of silverware, the ones that are maybe not winning silverware, and they're still, you're like, how does he still have a job? It becomes the political game. And I think he he had a falling off party with uh, Leonardo at PSG, the players, the locker room you know, of why he's doing certain things, you know, and I think credit to the coaches that really get the buy-in of the players. I mean, in today's game too, the players, the front office, when they see your vision and believe in your vision, that goes a long way in trusting the process. And I, be, I mean, I know Chelsea's owner is one of the most difficult owners to work with, but when there is a great relationship and that's why relationship communications are very key and as coaches knowing how to it's not like i think when you're a player you have more control of your own ego but as a coach you have to put that aside and see how you can get the buy-in because if you get the buy-in of right people it really allows especially what the project lampard wanted to is not an overnight project it's it's a long-term project of bringing the youth and doing it and i think people would have taken the hit of maybe financial silverwares because the longer term i think could have been very huge on that if i'm defending lampard's side but i don't think he had the buy-in of a lot of the people in house and i think there's a lot of things we don't probably know about that there's frustration because it gets competitive but they gotta see what is the end result and i think what they didn't see was what is, I mean, what's his best 11? What, I mean, maybe injuries had to do with it, whatever, but what's his best 11? What's his consistent lineup? What is his system? Is, if his system's not working, what is he going to change up? So I think all of those go into factor as well.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I want to piggyback on, and we've talked about it a lot uh, on, on our show here about uh, leadership and, uh, you know, uh, gaining trust of your 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 players. you know and I think what people don't realize is that uh, and this is something that you know they may might touch on in coaching courses. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know X's and O's are one thing, 100%, that's a big part of it and understanding the game. but you know you have to be able to develop relationships. And I'm not saying that maybe Frank didn't develop relationships. and you know, and I'm not saying that he probably didn't get buy-in, but I think to your point, You know, even going peeling the the onion back, the layers of the onion a little bit further is, you know, I think at sometimes you see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't think the football that the fans were seeing was inspiring enough to convince them that the team is moving in the right direction. So, yeah, we talk about results and we talk about silverware, but, you know, it's also are we playing in such a way that, okay, we lost today but I see the plan. I see the plan. And like you said, I, I see the system trying to take, to take hold. And I think to your point that, you know, I think there, there just seemed to be some disconnect and, you know, I guess we'll never know as, um, as pundits and as fans, you know, it's what goes on in the locker room, what goes on behind the scenes. We we just don't know, but uh, interesting. And again, I, I, you know, maybe down the line, we talk about some, some good players who've gone into coaching and, You know, and uh, we can kind of dig into that a little bit as we we move forward. Uh, You ready to kind of shift gears and dig into our 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 theme and topic today? Let's do it. All right. So in our last uh, our last episode, we uh, we did all things US men's national team. And, uh, uh, you know, we like to keep things a little consistent here. Uh, So you know, today we're going to focus in on all things uh, with the U S women's national team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with uh, currently they, they've just come off the heels of two pretty convincing victories over, over Columbia. Um, But, you know, I think uh, for me, um, you know, I've gotten kind of tagged as a a, a, a girls coach or a women's coach because I've spent some time there and, um, and I, and, I, and I don't mind that, um, you know, uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to rub shoulders with some what I would consider some world class players. But um, definitely it's an exciting time um, on the on the women's side, both in terms of where I see the game going financially, where I see the game moving in the professional ranks, um, you know, uh, opportunities for uh, some for female soccer players. So, uh, you know, we see them now moving into uh, corporate uh, positions that were in the past held by men. So with Kate Margraf as the the general manager, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of movement at the highest levels of, of the game. So uh, this is going to be a great kind of topic. And I think we could probably splinter in so many directions. And I think it, it, it's going to be great for those who might be listening to whether they're in their car or their home or whatever they're doing to kind of go, yeah, I don't agree with that. Or I agree with that. So I think we can really kind of move the meter, move the bar on this and have people think a little bit.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, the, the the heated argument becomes whenever um, it says, Oh, the women's national team is now better than the men's national team because they won two world cups we should get uh paid even more the joke was on some we should even get better pay than uh the men's national team you know why not we've won two world cups they haven't they haven't won any world cups and that's when the arguments get heated and what i try to say is it's two different two different sports within itself i and And the game on the men's side is different. The history behind it, it's bigger. And the women's side, it's, I think, a younger sport uh, compared to the men's. And the reason people forget too on the financial side, the viewership, I mean, that has nothing to do with who's performing better, who's not performing better. It's the viewership. And that goes back to the history. That goes back to the history of how long the men's side been around, but going back in the women's, I think they're uh, on the women's side, they're deserving. It's an up and coming, but it's the same thing as any organization as it's growing and is new, it takes a process. And I think, um, what, what the athletes are doing now, uh, and the involvement, uh, and the role model ship that the women's athletes in the U S are becoming, it's huge. And I think it's growing. It's exciting for any parent, any coach that has young daughters, young female players that want to have that bright future. So I think it's huge.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and not to confuse anybody, and I think this is where you're going with the the two World Cups prior to uh, the 2015. You know, the World Cup was considered different names, but they've actually won four World Championships: uh, 91, 99, 15, and, and 2019. And, and on top of some gold medals, um, you know, kind of going back to that 1991 team, uh, for those who don't know the, the first, the first world competition was in 1985, uh, and, um, uh, we, we were kind of, uh, not spectacular. Uh, I think, uh, our first couple results were, uh, a loss to, if I can remember, it was Italy, uh china and may have been a german team and it was just kind of our first international kind of uh stepping stone uh by 1985 86 88 through that time you know that's when the u.s soccer federation starts to say okay we we need to make a shift towards kind of establishing a women's program And that's when the the famed Anson Dorrance is hired to take over the program. And then uh, in 1991, they win what was called the Mondalita, which is, you know, uh, which was the world championships. uh, But ultimately um, it's the first time that we won a world championship on the women's side. And what's so amazing to think about where we were then to where we were now, I heard a story that when the the women's national team returns back from winning a world championship mind you there was I I think very little tv coverage they may have shown the the final in delay um they get back to JFK and they're only met by 12 people and i think most of that's family maybe one uh soccer it could have been Soccer America at the time that was kind of there. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it was a long road. And, and we've talked about how I'm, I, I respect Pioneers so much. And I don't think, you know, people realize what that group of women did for the game. Uh, I'm so happy that, you know, as they have uh, retired and moved on to different parts of of soccer culture and soccer leadership that they're getting their respect with, whether it's, uh, you know, you know, movies, documentaries, which is great. And I think, uh, you know, I've always said this, if we don't learn from history, we're condemned to repeat it. I think it's important that we learn from our predecessors, the good and the bad. And, uh, they did so many things for the women's game. Um, but you think about, you know, They talked about being in a final in, I think it was in China. They set a world record of 90,000 people in attendance and they come back to their own soil and nobody knows what's happened, you know? And so, uh, but what a great movement, right? That's sometimes what happens to kind of stir the imagination and they almost became the, you know, uh, uh, the underground group right uh so um they created the movement you know and although young ladies were were playing college soccer since title nine was i think passed in 1972 it didn't take hold until that 1991 world championship and you know and i think they they made a stir you know and so so you know there's a lot of different avenues now we can take this conversation but um you know, when you think about where they were, you know, you know, people quitting their jobs so that they could, you know, pay full attention to this dream to me is amazing. You know, they weren't getting compensated and some of them absolutely left jobs, left school to make sure that they could, they could uh, follow this dream. So I, I just think it's amazing.
1: No, I mean, being a pioneer is I think the most difficult situation to be in when you're paving your own path. Yeah. Um, At those times, especially with that 91, um, you know, coaches like Anson, you know, they they didn't really have football mentors in those times. It's it's. The the sports is growing. I mean, even when he th- talks about a lot of his tactics and coaching styles, he got was from Dean Smith from the UNC. How he would study those and incorporate it within um, the UNC women's soccer program. Women athletes that the Mia Hams of who of who they became their role models weren't female players during this time. They're paving their own path to inspire now who they became role models to the next generation and the next generation. So that's difficult. That's difficult. And, you know, it's crazy to say, especially on the women's side to have a college here that's so congested, but you're, you're playing at a top program and you're able to go win the world cup on that uh, is kind of, that's where the game was at at the time. And that's why U.S. was so ahead of everyone else. Even though these were university athletes, the other countries, they weren't giving the freedom to the female athletes to play it, to play it like they were in the U.S. And I think U.S. was uh, basically leading the charge with it of giving these uh, female athletes the freedom to be there in the same. And even though it started in the university route, to give that Title IX the same freedom that the men, men got, that started leading the charge step by step. It wasn't big steps, but it was step by step. As the other nations started following along and along, the competition started getting much more competitive now. US couldn't just go in and think, we can dominate this. As the level started picking up, leagues started to get incorporated in. Next generation starts to see, hey, I want to be like Mia Hamm. I want to be the next player that to take my uh, team to. I want to be the Brandy Chastain that scores the winning PK. Mm. And all of these pioneers that said it, now, now you got the Alex Morgans. Now you got um, the Tob- Tobin Heath. you know, um, what's the Lauren Holiday. You know, all of these players that are Kristen Press that are, became that. Now we have our next young generation that's going to go into maybe our next World Cup that had these interests Our games evolving and it's huge to see. And, and I love how U S led the charge and they're leading it. And the other nations, now you can see France, France has become a very good team. Spain is, it's just beautiful to see um, because I think, um, I think the female athletes are no different than male athletes. And I think everyone should have that platform. If, that's what they love to do, to be able to showcase it. So
0: huge on that growth. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things I want to kind of go back to is, you know, it, it seems kind of meteoric, our, our rise. But again, between 85 to 91, it was kind of us gaining foothold. And it was a lot of the same teams, Germany, Norway, Sweden. Italy was, you know, like I said, I think we, we actually lost a couple times uh, to Italy. In in that growth process, you know, I and I think the biggest change was you brought up, I, you know, Anson's move to bring in, I think at the time, three teenage players during that 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 movement. I think it was Christine Lily Miaham and I want to say Julie Foudy. I could be mistaken, but um, you know, to bring in those these teenagers to kind of you know add a little bit more to to the squad. I think was also you know again part of his genius as well. Uh, you know, and then by the time the 90s are rolling around, to your point, you know, again, it's, 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 we're still not established on the world stage in the sense that everybody else had already established some women's leagues and some women's teams. And so, you know, we think about how good China used to be, and we're still thinking, like, what happened? I remember being at... Uh, claremont mckenna university watching uh the chinese national women's team train uh it for world cup preparation and at the time i was saying myself this this team is this is this team's unbelievable you know um the sophistication in which they played uh their their tactical understanding you know i obviously don't speak chinese but could clearly see the the tactical objectives of the training session and how you know, how far ahead that, that those teams were at the time. Um, and, you know, again, I think to, to kind of, you know, we knew we were an up and coming team, but to kind of, um, you know, I think, you know, again, it's, it's cultural events, right. I also think it's, you know, you need moments to kind of push that final drive over, over the line. And, and I think, uh, just like the men's team had the world cup to kind of push the MLS agenda. I think we needed the world cup to be a success here in the United States. Uh, and then in front of 80,000 people, which is a a world record for women's actually, I think actually that game might've been 90,000 at, uh, at the Rose bowl and then they set another record with 80,000 at the Olympics. So, you know, the women were becoming celebrities. I mean, these were people were coming out to watch it. And so I think, you know, as much as people want to maybe say, Oh my God, we think back to like Brandy Chastain's again, it's a cultural movement. And I think, you know, it's something we'll never forget. And I think it's, it's, it's good football. It's beating teams. It's the drama in the final, beating the, the team like China that now puts it in our cultural psyche. And that's what I always kind of lean back to that in this country, you have to plant seeds and you have to make it something that, like, like we always say, I want to be that. I want to do that. I, you know, when they were little kids, I'm sure who were in stands watching games going, I want to be that who became national team players. 100% I believe that. And so that's how it happens, man. You know, and it's like a tidal wave. It just, just comes. So, you know, you know, and the question I always present is how good were those players in comparison to the players you see, see now. You know, and that's what our last episode with the men's team was. It's kind of like, could Mia Ham, Lily, could these players compete with some of the same players that, that we see now? And I think that's that's a great little question. No, it is. I mean,
1: I would even throw it back on you. I mean, when your your experience with Charlie Nemo at Pally Blues, um, where you had a good handful of um, the national team players um, that basically drove the second, um, you can say third, the, the third World Cup, going into the fourth World Cup, they, they led the charge for the third World Cup, is when you were seeing them as a coach, in person in there, how would you rate them? You observed obviously Mia Hamm and them in the 90s as well, in your opinion, where do you rate that group
0: right you know I, I think uh, you know I, I still think that 99 group was was very good um, and I would say that um, that what they did uh, was was a difficult accomplishment. I think what we see with the next crop of players is that going circling back to your point is, okay, there were some usual suspects in the nineties, Norway, Germany, you know, Sweden, China. But I think what you get as you go through the two thousands is now the game is much more global. Right. And so now, um, you have more competition, right. Um, and you have coaches who are coming from playing at the highest level, coming into the women's game. And I think what you get is, and, and, and I think that's why, you know, US wasn't always ranked number one. I think that's the thing that's, we just always assume that we were the best team, but there were times where we weren't ranked number one often during the, the 2000s and it's only been towards the latter part of the 2010s where we've kind of been consistently the number one team and I guess my point being is that individually I think the, the 99ers were amazing players uh, but what the current crop of players are doing against professional players is impressive is impressive I think You know, these players are now playing against full-fledged professional players who are doing this day in and day out. Uh, they themselves are professional players. Um, you know, uh, and of course the game, the women's game definitely changed. Like I saw much more, uh, I think the game was slower. Uh, and, uh, the modern game is, is very similar to the men's game. And in, in the, there's a lot of transitional moments, uh, and how they play within the transitional moments is, is key. And I think that's why you see a lot more athleticism in the women's game. Um, you know, the, they, they're not, they weren't only good soccer players, but they were, they were pretty good athletes. Right. Um, you know, they could run they were strong, you know, uh, you look at Sam U.S. right now, um, and you see her dominance in the game, and I was fortunate to have her uh, as a colleague. I call them colleagues because I had no, no real coaching with with this group, right? You're just kind of, you're kind of facilitating an environment, And but clearly when I was working with her, you could see that she was going to be an Im- Im- impactful, influential player, but that group—you uh, know—from Lauren Holiday, um, you know, Kristen Press, Kelly O'Hara, Mewis—you um, know—that there's just there was just so that we had a lot of players that uh, that went on to to Tobin, you know. But these were already gifted soccer players. What um, was it about them? What
1: was it about them that you're like? they're going to be somewhere. They're going to make it. They're going to be, they're going to be at the forefront.
0: Uh, You know, you made a statement that uh, male and female athletes are the same in the sense that they want the same things, right? They want to be able to have a platform. And I think uh, what I learned was, yeah, they are the same from temperament to ego to uh, swag. They have the same nuances that their, their male counterparts had. Uh, they're driven, they were ambitious, uh, intelligent, in the sense that, you know, it, it was a group of players that it wasn't just do as, I, you know, I'm told, you know, you, you always got the feeling, okay, why are we doing this? Um, so, yeah, I think what I learned was an athlete who's an elite athlete, a world-class athlete, they share, they share the same qualities and it has nothing to do with, with gender. You know, you are who you are because you have a mindset, you have a drive. And um, then I think that's, uh, that's something that, you know, sadly, I think that's sadly what threatens men, right? Is they see strong women, you know, And we used to talk about this, like, oh, uh, someone who questions you, you know, and I hate to sound like this, but, you know, back in the day, someone who questions you, you used to say, what a, you know. What a witch, why is she acting like that? And instead of saying, you know, if, if that was a male counterpart, would I have had the same reaction to somebody who's challenging my thoughts? No, we, we would dialogue about it, we would explain it. And so, you know, again, I think they were, they were strong, they were um, talented, uh, and they were, they were smart, And they were just good, good soccer players. And, you know, and I, and I say all this about their strength and their ambition that can sound sometimes cold, but they were also really good people. You know, most of my interactions with these, these, uh, these athletes were, was positive. They were respectful. They were, you know, I was fortunate enough to have some of them, like even stay with me at times, you know, with our family. Uh, So they're good people. But definitely have have that when we talk about what takes what makes a player get to the next level, they they had all those ingredients.
1: Yeah, and as we're transitioning to the to the future of what the game holds, I think uh, on the women's side, um, just women athletes in general, they're better listeners. Um, And the coachability, it makes on the coach's hand a much easier task to explain it uh, and breaking down things as a general whole. And that's what I'm trying to get at is. But that being said, the thing that benefits on our women's game is we don't have American football on the women's game. We don't have hockey. And what I'm trying to get at, we lose a certain patch to basketball on the athlete part. But the next patches goes on the women's soccer game. We lose it on the men's side in America. Mm. And America, with the resources we have in sports performance facilities, we develop very good athletes from a young age. And a lot of them play the game of football, uh, which is soccer, uh, male and female. But a certain point when it's eighth grade, ninth grade, we lose the majority of those athletes to American football, hockey, hmm. um, basketball, we don't lose that on the female, and we get very athletic players. Hmm. And I don't think other countries are there yet with these sports performance. And look, America has a lot of lot of advantages over a lot of countries, and that's why if they really want to be successful in anything, they can be if you just put in the time for it. But what I witnessed at our last World Cup against France, especially France, is football-wise they're better than us. Football-wise, the the savviness, uh, moving the ball, we beat them on pure athleticism. We it was just so easy to get around exposed, and even defending the defend, it was difficult for them to break certain things. When any team you saw get placed with uh, USA. They lack the athleticism that the U.S. team had. The other stuff showed that it's catching up and their philosophies and what they're incorporating in. Um, But that's the main thing that stood out is we have the best athletes on the women's side. And on the men's side, if we compare, other countries have better athletes. And sometimes that helps in certain moments of the game. But the growth is huge. I think in our next World Cup, um, we're producing a lot of talent. We have a very, very, we're talking about how deep the, the men's side is. Obviously the women's side is even even deeper uh, just because of the pedigree of World Cups they've won. And now just as the new coach coming in um, and incorporating youth and veterans, they, He has that luxury where the veterans could have two World Cups under their belt. We don't have that on the men's side yet. Uh, It's still a young and up and coming and we want to get there too. But the women's, even though it's a young sport, as a young sport, they established that. Where on the men's, Brazil and Uruguay were that earlier on. Our women's side was USA is that starting point. And I think they have that, uh, situation of becoming that powerhouse, continuing the path of going like this because the excitement's there, the buzz is there. When I'm seeing female athletes now, the way uh, they want to go in the university route, and the university route really complements the, uh, the female athlete. And I think that uh, that's to them, it's still a route where you're, you're still slowly seeing 18. 19-year-olds opting to go professional as well. So that's not a bad situation as well if the financial resources provides that. But I'm excited. Same excitement we had on the men's side. I'm excited because I think when you watch the brand of the game, you know, we said we dominated the previous one on athleticism. The game is getting better too. And these players are uh, trying to play it and they have the athleticism Athleticism it's just going to make the competition exciting, and I'm excited to see if you know if USA can win the next one. You know that'll be another another uh, you know uh, stepping stone for them, and they'll be going in the direction that we all vision to go.
0: Yeah, you made some great points, uh, in particular about the last World Cup and how you you saw France uh, kind of come to the forefront. Uh, and I think what's what's happened. Uh, is that, um, you know, what needed to happen is for a continuous improvement internationally for the game, for the game's sake. Um, You know, I think Sweden has always been a very good established league, but what you're seeing now is you have England now who's establishing a very strong uh, women's pro division uh, and we were, we were fortunate enough to have Melissa Phillips, who kind of brought some light to that on our, on our show. Um, France, obviously, now is establishing their, their women's professionally. But you always got the feeling, though, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that as soon as any sort of attention was given to the women's side in those countries, that the gap was going to close. Right. Because there's already an established culture of football. Right. You know, you talked about the the tactical nuances that some of these international teams show that we don't show. And that's simply because of the the soccer culture that they're growing up in. Right. They there is an identity that they grow up in. And so, you know, and, and to be fair, you know, there there's I've said this all along. I always get people raising their eyebrows at me at the end of the day, there's no right way to play football, right? It's it, all that. It, it circles back down to culture, uh, uh, the players that you have, you know, and, and what you really want to see or observe as, as a soccer fan. Uh, we are, we are always going to be, uh, an athletic team and we're going to play to that. It, it's a strength and that's okay. Uh, but I think because the game has become so tactical that there was a need for us to finally shift gears and say, look, yeah, we, we have to do more. We have to understand the game more. We have to play the game in, in moments in a different way. And I think, um, you know, uh, again, I think through coaching education, I think through, um, uh, players playing abroad, they're starting to see the game differently. Um, I'm starting, even with this new coaching staff that we, we have now, we've always played an exciting way of soccer. And now, dare I say, we're also playing some attractive soccer as well. Um, and so, you know, I think that it was, it was needed for the game as a whole, that these other countries developed the women's side in terms of professionalism, but I think it's also incumbent on us to make sure that we don't get complacent as a federation, as a national team program, uh, that we continue to improve. Uh, you know, there you, you had people who had caps in the the two hundreds, three hundred caps. You know, the way you know your national program is is improving is that are caps reducing in players. So no longer are players gonna hit 200 because now that means the pool's deeper, the players are better. So, you know, to your point, I think, you know, the transition from veteranship to bringing in new players has to come sooner. We have to get players in their proper cycle, not waiting for a veteran to phase out. I think even though a veteran might be playing well, you know, you have to bring in players in the proper cycle so that the development and the program pushes forward. And, you know, I, I'm kind of excited with this this new group, you know, um, both in terms of the young players and how the, the, the veterans are fitting in. Um, it should be interesting. It should be really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I
1: want to even bring in even England, what Phil Nivel did with that group, too, because that was the closest call. That – our goalkeeper came so – like, she came up with such a big, big, big save. I mean, that PK that she saved literally, literally set it all up to go to the final. And then they were in cruise control in there to to, to take it. I thought they really dominated the Holland game in the final. Yeah. But But that France and England game was, I think – their biggest challenges where you can say, if there is any holes, if there was any part that they were like, that they got to sharpen up, they came up big too, where it needed to be big. And I think certain players, like I said, uh, people were questioning, um, hope solo, not being a part of it, transitioning from one keeper to the next one and making those decisions of uh, balancing the team out. it, It all came up, right. You know, you had close games, that players needed to show the, the mindset, the discipline to close out, close out games. We all know it. I mean, you can't dominate every game. There's going to be competitive game at that level. And, and USA showed that. So huge respect to that as well. What they did to France, I mean, how they started that half to go at them. Everybody was talking What? France is going to destroy us. Yeah. France is the team that's going to, be, we're not good enough for France. And yes, they played a very high tempo game, but we, the USA knew game plan. Like you just said, we're an athletic team. That's our strength. We're going to go at them. And they went at them. Yeah. And right at the beginning, France didn't know what to do. They were chasing the game. England, and I, that's why I give credit to Phil Nivel, set it up. It was very kind of balanced. You didn't know who's going to break the lock. And it was broken, but then they had the chance to tie it up as well. And then our, our goalkeeper came up huge. And, yep. I, and I think those are the moments that show uh, in all aspects. And, I, and it's credit to also shy. Um, that's why I'm excited for our, both our men's and women's. When in today's game, you're seeing better coaches at the youth level. Kids are starting younger than yeah. they did before. It's not volunteer dads. Yeah. It's actual coaches that either had a playing experience or they went and got education from people that are coming from abroad with knowledge or yeah. they played it and they're educating if it's parents that never played that want to play, but they want to get good coaching. You have those in your environment. You have a strength coach that's breaking down the mechanics of how to make your right quad bigger than your left quad to strengthen that movement, athletic-based within your sport specific, yeah. you have your nutritionist, you have your cycle, everybody now, if they can afford it, or you can have a foundation to afford it, to get that environment around you. And now mold these players uh, within the U S, but overall within our game. And I think when the game becomes that good, it's just back and forth. If you're a neutral fan, you're like, man, clicking on the women's game or the men's game to me, It's a tough decision now. I don't know which one to pick. I like both. This brand is nice. This brand is nice. It's high tempo because players are putting in the time for it. And we're like, man, both are entertaining. And to me, and I think it's, if you want to say if it was here and it's going, 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 and it's hitting it right at the same time. And, you know, when it peaks, it's exciting for me to watch it on both ends, knowing that female or male, not going to make a difference.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know in our household, it's it's been that way for a very long time. But uh, you know, uh, if 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 I have a choice between uh, two games, and uh, you know, it, it's it's not always oh, let's just watch the men's pro game. It's it's you know, this is going to be a good good game to enjoy, but also a good learning experience. Uh, here's here's one for you. How about uh, Katarina Macario, right? the the new uh, uh, American player who's who's now going to join us. Uh, I don't know if you've really got to watch her play. I watched her, at, yeah, at Stanford, and you know, there's a player who I think uh, adds just a little bit more flair to to what we have, and you know, she's she's quite graceful on the field, but. Um, what a grab for us. Um, but I think she just signed a, a three-year deal with uh, uh, Olympic Lyon in France, I believe. Um, you know, and that, that's now the un- next underwriting question is, um, are we? is that good that the market is now open and that players are choosing to go back overseas? In the past, it was the only option, but now that we have NWSL, how is that playing out? Uh, you know, does it water down the NWSL because most of our players are now playing abroad? But there's a lot of good things happening on the and the women's side. But no, none less than that fact that we have. Uh, she's
1: she's good. Yeah, she's, she's good. I mean, when you watch the Stanford game, she's like she was playing amongst little girls. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's how that's she looked like. She's the next next big big thing, and yeah. she's young you can see she plays with bite. Um, I'm excited with that one too, but yeah, huge one.
0: Well, uh, Sean, I don't know if I have any more to, to kind of, I don't know if you have any more uh, questions, but uh, I feel like uh, we kind of, you know, we've covered it all from the beginning and to where we are now. And um, again, lots of exciting uh, uh, football ahead of us, both on the men's and women's side, Uh, exciting times for, um, uh, for some friendlies, some qualifications are coming up hopefully soon. So, um, it's been good.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, yourself being a, a girl dad, I think on, <laughs> on this topic as well. And, you know, recently this is the year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing away yeah. with what he was doing for the women's side. Uh, I want to kind of touch on that. Unfortunately, losing him and Gigi, uh, last year, but I want us to kind of remember, um, you know, how, how precious life is and fragile it is, but taking advantage of growing both, both of our games. And I think sometimes, uh, in the past, we used to say this, this gender deserves more attention than this one. But I think now as we're seeing evolution, if your daughter wants to play sports she can play sports and i think before it's like no it's not a girl thing to go into sports that's the boys territory what they used to say you cannot mix in girls are supposed to do this they go play teapot do this no and you you put that label on them and i think that's not fair where i see the true progression now we're at as a society as a culture we promote it equally and I think that has come a huge way. And I think now as coaches, as parents that have daughters, as uh, they're starting so young with the female game, we need to push it as equally and there is, and not really take any hits on it. Yeah. Not say different at all and, not, and use advantages of what it is to make it better. Because I think for that next generation, it's kind of comes down to, everyone in that role coming together to make the game better.
0: Yeah. And, and I would just say this, uh, one of the, the best uh, things that the, the current, uh, women's national team does is, uh, they have used their platform to voice the, uh, you know, the equality in terms of, uh, you know, I don't get into the politics of other things, but in terms of the game, you know, to make sure that, uh, equal pay to me as a no brainer um you know equal in terms of uh provisions you know how they travel um you know uh to equipment to staff to me this is all no brainers uh you're right as a as a as a father uh, of two daughters um you know, it, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm glad that we have strong uh, role models in the women's game who are gonna, you know, hopefully pave the way uh, for not only my, my daughters, but for, for others uh, as well. Um, and I know that my daughters were benefited from being around, you know, Lauren, you know, Nikki Washington, Tobin Heath, and Uh, And a lot of these players, and it it stood as an inspiration to them. And I'm sure that that seed was planted when they were young. And that's what these, these, these players do. And I think that's what, that's what footballers do. They inspire, they inspire people. And that's, that's why we go to watch games to forget about our lives for a little bit, to dream a little bit. So uh, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, it shouldn't matter whether we're, we're men, women, um, you know, the bottom line, it's sport, you know, and, um, it shouldn't matter. Great call. I totally agree. All right, my friends. Well, uh, you go and, uh, stay safe out there. Um, uh, look forwarding uh, forward to the next episode and uh, see what we can cook up. Sounds good. Till then. Peace.